Hello and welcome. My name is Glenn Davis. I'm Director of Research for the Council of Institutional Investors. On today's podcast, we'll be focusing on understanding gold as an investment alternative and the drivers of gold demand. We're pleased to have with us J.C. Artigas of the World Gold Council. Welcome, J.C. Hi, how are you, Glenn? Thank you so much for having me. Let's begin with some information about your perspective. Uh, what does the World Gold Council do, and could you tell us about your role there? Of course. The, the World Gold Council is a market development organization for the gold industry. We were founded in 1987, and our members are the largest and most uh, forward-thinking mining companies. We are the global authority on gold, and for 30 years, we have been providing leadership, setting industry standards, and acting as trusted partners to government, policymakers, sovereign wealth funds, central banks around the world, and investors, both uh, institutional and individual. I am the Director of Investment Research. What that means is within the World Gold Council, we provide investors with very thorough and detailed insights and data that helps them understand the role of gold in a portfolio and also how the market works overall. Since you're focused on the demand side, I'd like to start by asking fundamentally about the type of demand that drives the price of gold. What do we actually know in terms of the extent to which demand is driven by jewelry or electronics or central banks or private investments? That's a, an excellent question because that does go to the core of gold and its behavior and how it relates to other assets. Broadly speaking, I would say that uh, gold has a dual nature, both as a consumer good, as a luxury item, as well as an investment. And this, again, underpins uh, its long-term performance and its role and its behavior in a portfolio. Let me give you first the breakdown of demand, physical demand over uh, a given year. And then let's go over the drivers and how that these uh, four uh, sectors or four these sources of demand influence price. So starting from there, on a given year, about 54% of demand is linked to jewelry and about 10% more is linked to technology, high-end electronics. Now, combine these two, 54 plus 10%, is usually what is considered perhaps the consumer side of gold, whatever is more linked to uh, economic growth and expansion. Now, in addition to that, there's about 30% or so of physical demand for gold in the form of bars, coins, and gold-backed ETFs. And finally, about 6% or so that is uh, linked to central bank purchases as part of their foreign reserves. In terms of the determination of, of the gold price and the influence of these segments of demand into the gold price, what I would say is, well, we need to look at the long-term performance and the short-term performance for gold. Uh, because the reality is that even though physical demand for gold is, of course, key in determining gold's price and, and its behavior, uh, we need to understand that as well there is activity in derivatives markets, whether it is in exchanges or the OTC, that influence price discovery. So let's start from the four key drivers of gold. And these, instead of being specific variables, are four categories of drivers that are going to influence uh, gold. The first one is wealth and economic expansion, things like GDP, um, per capita income, disposable income, and so on. The second one is risk and market uncertainty. 
um, things like you know volatility or credit spreads, uh, all these types of metrics that uh, give a sense for how risk-averse investors may be. The third one has to do with opportunity cost. So, for example, interest rates or the value of other currencies that may uh, that some investors may use as um, you know as, as different alternatives to gold at different periods of time. And the fourth one is momentum and positioning, uh, which is very common in again determining and discovering uh, short-term prices for gold. So, going back, it's uh, wealth and economic expansion, risk and market uncertainty opportunity cost and momentum and positioning. Over the long run, one of the most important drivers for gold is actually wealth and economic expansion. And this is something that is not you know, properly understood, uh, but definitely de- dictates um, a, a good percentage of what uh, gold's returns are, are over the long run. In addition to, of course, the premium that investors are willing to pay to hold gold in periods of systemic risk. Now, in the short term, market risk and uncertainty, opportunity cost, and momentum and positioning are going to have an outsized effect. And again, that's uh, a little bit of, of, of what uh, investors typically think when they think about gold. These, these other three pockets that are more uh, likely to you know, play a role in gold's performance in short and medium term. But again, you know, just to emphasize, long and medium term, uh, things like jewelry technology, savings through uh, bars and coins, and even to uh, some degree on gold back ETFs, as well as the role that gold plays as a reserve um, asset uh, in, in foreign reserves of central banks, is key to its long term performance. Thinking geographically, which parts of the world are most responsible for gold demand, and how should that inform investors' decisions about where the price of gold is going? This has changed over time, of course, as, as the gold market has evolved and, and as the world has itself evolved. In particular, as emerging markets have been, you know, become a more important part of the global economy, they have also increased their share of uh, demand for gold uh, you know, as a percentage of annual demand. So if you look at average annual demand, about 70% or so is linked to emerging markets. In particular, India and China both play a, a very, very important role. In terms of you know, the, the next country that is quite important is, is the United States. Now, just to put things into perspective, physical annual demand coming from China is about uh, 23% or so, uh, India is about 22%, and the U.S. is about 8% or so. This is, again, on average so over the past 10 years. So you can see that even though the U.S. is, is important, uh, it is still considerably smaller as a market than uh, what India and China are. After that, um, you have Germany and then Turkey and so on. Of course, Germany is just one country in Europe. Europe as a whole is an important region, and and that is important to take into consideration. Combined, uh, Europe makes up about 12% of uh, physical demand. So what should investors look for when they look at gold? They should definitely see gold as a global asset. This is not just about the U.S. or U.S. policy. Even if U.S. inflation or U.S. Um, interest rate may influence gold price discovery and, and how in investors act in the short and medium term, over the long run, it is truly the demand from around the world that makes gold not only a very good diversifier in a portfolio, but also a truly global asset. 
And what would you say about the volatility of investing in gold, especially relative to public equity? This is, I think, one of the one common misunderstanding when it comes to gold. Uh, many investors think that gold is a volatile asset. In reality, gold's long-term volatility is very close to that of, for example, the S&P 500. So between 16 and 18 percent on on an average, you know, in a in a given year. Now. Not only that, actually, gold is less volatile than the bottom 10% of all of S&P 500 stocks. So again, when people think about equities and stocks, I mean, they are thinking about an index, and that index is comprised of many individual securities. Gold is an individual security, it's just one single security, yet its um, volatility is very much linked to that of an index, right? So you can actually see why when you compare uh, individual stocks to gold, gold is, is going to be far less volatile than pretty much all, uh, you know, again, 90% or so of the components of um, the S&P 500. Now, uh, this is relevant uh, not only because of, you know, the, uh, the gold's volatility, but also the fact that it has very little correlation, very low correlation to other assets, including stocks. So the contribution to the portfolio becomes even smaller, right? So it has, uh, you know, uh, volatility that is close to the S&P 500, but because the correlation is so small, again, how much gold contributes to portfolio volatility becomes quite small. JC, could you tell us about gold investment duration. Is the typical gold investment a short-term play or a long-term hold? And is there a trend in one direction or the other? Look, we see gold as a strategic asset. There, We believe that there are four characteristics that make gold uh, a strategic asset and, and something that investors should consider. The first characteristic is a source of returns uh, over the long run. You know, Since 1971, when gold became free-floating or a freely traded asset, gold returns have been on average close to 10%, which is what you have seen from um, you know stocks over that same period. The second characteristic is diversification. As I was saying earlier, gold has a very low correlation to stocks, but it also has very low correlation to many other assets, making it a good candidate for a diversifier, especially because, interestingly enough, because of the dual nature of gold, consumption and investment, Correlation between gold and stocks when stocks are increasing rapidly tends to be slightly positive, yet when stocks tend to fall sharply, the correlation becomes more and more negative, which is the type of diversification that um, usually investors are looking for. So I mentioned returns, diversification. The third point is liquidity. Gold can be a source uh, of liquidity in portfolios. It trades close to $200 billion a day in global markets. Uh, in you know through the OTC market and exchanges and gold-backed ETFs and so on, and again can counterbalance some of the liquidity that investors typically have in their portfolio, especially in periods of of crisis. And all of these points combined make the four point, which is a portfolio impact. Usually, uh, over the long run, gold tends to increase returns and reduce volatility, and therefore increasing risk-adjusted returns. So we view um, gold as a strategic asset, and we're not alone, actually. Many investors, uh, big and small, uh, whether it is central banks or um, you know pension funds or insurance companies or, again, asset managers, individual investors, do see gold as an integral part of their portfolio. But, of course, there are uh, many other investors that um, you know, use it more uh, tactically or more short-term. And, and you know, there are many reasons why investors can
can overweight or underweight a position or outright, again, you know, buy gold in particular uh, in certain periods, especially those linked to uh, uncertainty or, you know, for example, high inflation or high, you know, expectations of of um, a, a rockier period or, or, or potential uh, deceleration in the economy. And why do you believe it's the case that institutional investors have traditionally made gold a, a tactical approach as opposed to a significant part of their portfolio? What I would say is that it's usually linked to a misunderstanding of gold and, and the role that it can play. What we know is that in terms of barriers for investing through you know, surveys and conversations with investors, we know that you know, you can, um, investors often say two things. Number one, again, what is um, the intrinsic value of gold? In other words, you know, if gold pays no dividend or it has no coupon, how do I value it? The other one has to do with what role it plays. So, you know, is it an inflation hedge? Is it, you know, a risk hedge? You know, where, where, where are the returns coming from and so on? Like what role it plays in my portfolio? Linked to that is also the fact that it may be seen as part of, of something more like a commodity. So investors may say, well, I already have gold because, um, you know, I, I have it as part of my commodity. And some of the things, you know, we've been able to show through our research is that, well, you know, gold's unique nature actually sets it apart from the commodity complex. So it's not just like a commodity is much more than that. And it can complement uh, even uh, commodity uh, exposure. Gold doesn't pay uh, yield because it has no credit risk. So, you know, it's uh, part of that characteristic of physical gold, you know, in, alloc in an allocated account, in a bullion bank and so on, or through many um, gold-backed ETFs that follow that structure, it can reduce the, uh, the, the, the credit risk that investors have, right? So the fact that it doesn't have a coupon or a, or a uh, yield doesn't prevent investors from valuing gold. You can actually do that through, again, understanding and the sources of demand as well as, as the sources of supply for gold. And then, you know, also finally, because uh, many investors see gold only working when there's high uncertainty uh, and when that uncertainty is diminishing, then they, you know, may not necessarily see a role. And that goes back again to the, the misunderstanding or the, the lack of understanding of the sources of demand that are actually positively correlated to economic growth, such as jewelry, um, technology, or you know, long-term savings through borrowing coin demand. Before we conclude, I want to turn to your council's work on stakeholder issues. Could you tell us about the conflict-free gold standard as well as the responsible gold mining principles? The conflict-free gold standard provides a mechanism by which gold producers can assess and provide assurance that their gold has been extracted in a manner that does not cause support or benefit unlawful armed conflict or contribute to serious human uh, right abuses or breaches of international humanitarian law. The conflict-free gold standard was developed through an intensive consultation period involving governments, civil society, and supply chain participants. In terms of the responsible gold mining principle, they are a framework that sets out clear expectations for investors and downstream users as to what constitutes uh, responsible gold mining. They are not intended to create a new standard since there are already many standards that address different aspects of responsible mining. The responsible gold mining principles, however, are intended to recognize and consolidate existing instruments under a single framework. Our guest has been J.C. Artigas of the World Gold Council. Thank you, J.C., and thank you to podcast subscribers for listening today.
Good afternoon.